Now, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. Today is Easter Monday, Monday, April 13th, 2020. Keep forgetting that, uh, that month, but uh, today, uh, as everybody knows, at least in Howard County, if the school calendar would have been on its regular schedule, today would have been the last day of Howard County spring break, as is uh, local tradition. And uh, of course, uh, we don't have that this year. So this is a very uh, different year. And also the elections of 2020 are being run very differently, uh, as Governor Hogan announced on Saturday. There, uh, or on Friday, rather, that uh, the uh, state's primary on June 2nd will be run by mail-in ballot. And uh, that uh, throws even more uh, uncertainty and complication into what's already a busy primary election season in Howard County, especially with our Howard County Board of Education members now being elected by district. And today's guest is Jolene Mosley. She is a candidate for the uh, Board of Education seat in the third district. So Jolene, welcome to the podcast today. Hello, thank you for having me. Very welcome, glad to have you here. And um, why don't you tell us first a little bit about yourself, about who you are, how you became interested in why you're running for the board and what the main themes of your campaign are. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people in the community, it's no surprise that I'm running for Board of Ed um, in District 3. Uh, this is, like you mentioned, this is the first time the county is split into different districts. And District 3 um, represents a lot of people and not all of the schools in District not all of the children in District 3 go to schools in District 3, right? We have some crossover, and um, that is something with my children. My children go to school in District 2. So I just wanted to um, recognize that, that even though we are elected by district this time, it is still a countywide position because our school um, is a county school system. And even on our um, micro level, our county council districts do have children that go to schools in other county council districts. So anyway, I've been an active advocate in the school community for a long time now. I have four children, like I mentioned, I have two in high school, one in middle school, and one's a preschooler. So when I'm all done, my children in HCPSS, I will have 28 consecutive years as a Howard County parent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like halfway done. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I love the school system, right? And I really work hard to advocate for the school system. I have been um, advocate through the school system by doing Howard representation of my children's schools through Howard County Parents School Music, uh, the GT Parent Academy, PTA um, volunteering. I do chaperoning when the schools need me, as well as a lot of other things. This past year, I have also been um, vice chair for the CAC. The CAC is an advisory board for the Board of Ed, mm -hmm. and um, there are two advisory boards for the Board of Ed. One is the CAC, and the other one is the OBRC, and I'm the representative to the OBRC through the CAC. So I have been active on those two groups as well. Okay. Um, so you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could yeah. you back up what CAC and OBRC stand for? Because I think mm -hmm. I know 
But those okay, are the sure. main, sure, main. CAC is the Community Advisory um, Group and mm -hmm. Council, and it meets monthly. And we have a presentation from someone um, from the school system, and we um, watch the presentation that they present. And usually, it's something that our group is interested in, and or like a common uh, hot topic, right? And uh, we talk about that. And then we ask questions and then we have our meeting to talk about other things that the community is interested in. Um, there are two things I brought new to the CAC this year. One is our electronic record keeping. We now log on to the computer and it keeps electronic because it was getting very difficult to manage who's a member, who's not, because to have voting privileges. You have to be a member for a certain amount of time and when you're voted in and all these other things that were more complicated, not having it electronically done. So we implemented mm -hmm. that. And the other thing I implemented was burning questions. So you ever mm -hmm. been to a meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to ask this question, but it's really not appropriate for me to ask right now, but I'm really yeah. having a hard time listening because I have a question, <laughs> right? I, mean, I have no filter, so that's hard. <laughs> but you can imagine the sorts of things I might come up with, but yes, it has happened. Right, so I came up with this um, burning questions um, thing and what it is, it's a form that you can fill out and it has, it has um, some uh, positive things to go with it. So it's for people who can't listen to what's happening because they have to ask this question, right? They came to this meeting for a reason and they have, they have a question they want answered, right? If it's something that isn't appropriate or they really just have to get it off their chest, let's ask it now. You, you fill in the burning questions and it goes to a document and we make sure that if it's appropriate during the presentation, we ask it during or after the presentation. But if it's something that isn't really the, in the realm of what the presenter is presenting, then we'll go to HCPSS and we'll get their, um, their answer and then all of these questions go in the meeting minutes for the, um, for the um, CAC, which is then voted in and it's on board docs. So this gives people a way that either they're not comfortable asking the question, they want anonymity, or they really can't listen to the um, meeting unless they get this question answered, right? Mm -hmm. So that was one thing that I helped implement for the CAC um, this past year. Oh, and they've been really helpful. Like, it's been really helpful doing that. And the OBRC is, if mm -hmm. I re remember correctly, it's the Operating Budget Review Committee. That's right. So we go through the entire budget books um, and we discuss ideas and things that we want to drill down into. And we have presentations lined up from different HCPSS departments based on what our questions are. And then as a group, we make motions and vote on some recommendations that we'd like the Board of Ed to consider when they're looking into their operating budget. Mm -hmm. And so tell, tell everybody what you do for a living and what your professional background is, because mm -hmm. I, I, I found it multifaceted and fascinating. <laughs> I've done a lot. Um, currently, I am a data scientist. I'm a senior data scientist. Um, and I've been doing that for about 20 years now. Um, that has been the core of my profession. And um, I do a lot of, st currently I'm working with healthcare data. So I am 
technically an essential employee right now, but in the comfort of my home because I'm a remote employee at the same time, right? So not much has changed with that other than having my children at home. Mm -hmm. um, so I currently work for a healthcare company. Um, before that, I worked for um, a contractor for Veterans Affairs. And before that, um, some other, um, I worked for HUD, data, and also Bureau of Labor Statistics for the Consumer Price Index. Um, for Veterans Affairs, I did a lot of studies on longitudinal um, impacts of mm -hmm. um, benefits utilization as well as policies. And I really do, I really did enjoy that a lot as well as migration studies. Um, my current work, I don't really do that um, right now, but we do more types of like modeling things. Um, so that's really interesting I, I, to me. <laughs> I, could get very, I could get super geeky because I, <laughs> I, uh, I administered a longitudinal study for the National Institute on Aging. So I could really get down the rabbit hole on like, how did you do it? But I'm not going to go there because that's not why we're here. Okay. Uh, but you, but you, also have, time. Yeah. you also have another time, but you also have a creative side, which yeah. I Oh, you had your own business for a while, well, at least. Yeah, so I'm a yarn bender. That's what my children dubbed me. Um, and what that means is I'm very passionate about fiber arts. Um, and um, so we had a blip in our home where I had to um, stop working full-time and go to contracting part-time because one of our children um, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a 26-month um, treatment. And it was a long time and I had two children at the time. And so the time that I could commit to um, being in the office and things like that was not um, accessible because she needed to be at Hopkins regularly. And that was 26 months. It was a long time. She's doing fantastic. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. She would impress anyone. She's absolutely fantastic. Um, so that impact of my life. So what happened was I bought a yarn shop, right? And I did that because of different budgeting concerns that I had, as well as financial impacts to our family. Um, and the yarn store still exists. I bought one that already was existing and I sold it to someone when um, I was done owning it. I had several employees, they were wonderful. We worked festivals and all sorts of things. Um, I was a director on the Baltimore Weavers Guild for a little while. And I also did some competitive weaving at Maryland Sheep and Wool, which I'm really sad about because Maryland Sheep and Wool is canceled this year. They did cancel. I was wondering, because I know that was in June. That's unfortunate. So sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's sad because one thing, it's a great event because it brings a very large community together to enjoy something that them and their families enjoy, right? It's, and other families enjoy different aspects of this uh, festival, right? But it mm -hmm. also is a bad thing because a lot of the vendors that vend there um, need the income from that festival right. because very much, very much not so. a lot of people are buying wool in the summertime, right? Let's face right. it, right? So <laughs> when we're thinking about tight budgets, we got to sell some yarn at the festival to make it through the summertime. So I really am feeling that. And I have heard recently that it might go to a virtual festival. So mm -hmm. I will be watching that so that I can continue to support local businesses with purchasing some yarn. Well, that would be great if it did. So, so, so what do you want to do as a member of the Howard County Board of Education? Yes. So District 3 has been underrepresented for a long time. 
right? Mm -hmm. I've lived in District 3 or District 2 my whole adult life, right? I used to live in Carroll County before that. Um, I really feel like the board needs a strong voice um, from the area that understands things that happen in District 3 and District 2 or ramifications of things that happen in District 2 and District 3, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that link with my children being in District 2 for their high school and living in District 3, elementary schools in District 3, um, and then a lot of our friends went to high school in District 3, right? Because the way the feed structure happens, my kids are mm -hmm. part of that small feed from Appleton Elementary to Oakland Mills Middle. You've heard it come up on redistricting all the time. I live in Allview, right? Right, okay. A lot. <laughs> my, my son had like six to eight children in his feed from elementary school to middle school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but everyone else goes to Hammond. So we have lots of friends that attend Hammond. Um, I believe that my professional background would be really beneficial for the Board of Education. Um, I have a lot of experience with evidence-based decision-making as well as um, data analysis, right? Because it's kind of what I do every day. I have degrees in math and economics, which would be very helpful in that realm as well. I went to UMBC. <laughs> okay, go with um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I really think that my life experience with my different children will be very beneficial as well. I have children who are GTAP students. I have some that um, re have received special education services. They range from four to 17 years old. So I can have a unique perspective on a lot of different family situations and what they're, um, what they're uh, working with with the school system um, as, as a Board of Ed member. Well, that's terrific. Thank you for sharing that. Um, several questions come to mind. Sure. The first thing being during your intro, I mean, I, I can remember during the whole conversation about whether or not to have school board member elections by district, that you, a situation like yours was seen as a problem and oh. a reason against why having it, because you may have someone who lives in one district and their kids go to another, or wow, even more weird, maybe someone lives in one district and some children go to another and some children because of a split or blended family go to another. Um, but I, I did not hear, or and it would be too complicated, but I did not hear that at all for, from you. And uh, oh, my ear scratches on camera, on live TV. Uh, but I didn't hear that from all from you. In fact, I, I heard when, how I took what you said was you take you see that as an advantage. Yeah, I do see it as an advantage. District three has students that go to school in district three, district two and district four. Um, so any anybody who is elected by the county council district has to understand that it's not just our council district. It's, of course, it's the families in our council district, but their schools are in other, are in other county districts. So we, it, and it's a whole school system, a whole county school system. We all have to really collaborate and make best decisions for every student, not just specific to district three or district two or district four. So, so about making the best decisions for students countywide, I mean, you know, we mentioned before, I know you've, you've heard at least one of these other interviews and, and uh, a question I like to ask is this, um, which is if 
you know, of course, we all know what happened last year with the redistricting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I understand that there's maybe even been some motion this year to revisit, or is this another chance for people who were in opposition to redistricting, a chance to negate it, turn it over, whatever. If you had been on the board, I mean, I know outcomes, you can't guarantee, right. um, but what do you think you would have brought to the discussion um, that that maybe was missed in all that went on last year? Sure. The process, I have a lot of comments about, um, but first I want to give you a little historical reference. Um, I'm not a person who's just jumping in because of this redistricting scenario, right? My students that I, and I say students because I'm talking about the kid, not just my kids, but the kids that are in my children's lives and in my community have um, had a few redistricting scenarios for the past several years. And when my oldest was in third grade was the first, um, the first time I've been involved with the um, and she's 11th grade now, so third grade. That was the first time I've been involved with a redistricting uh, process, right? And that impacted at the elementary school level for us. Well, not for my kid, but my kid's school, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple things I think are important to think about when we're talking about the redistricting process. I think a lot of people get confused because there's a lot of moving parts, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that a basic thing that I think should be changed with the process is I really feel like there needs to be a data freeze, right? For the redistricting process, a data freeze, okay? We saw throughout the process, and I followed it a couple times now, a couple iterations of redistricting, right? Not just this one, but last yeah. one and the one before. Mm -hmm. When they come out with a feasibility study, which is the first part of redistricting, right? They're using one set of data. They're using one set of data that has different assumptions in it. Okay, as a data scientist, you know that when you're looking at one sort of study, you can't change the assumptions throughout the study, right? Mm -hmm. You need to maintain some continuity across this time period, right? So one thing that I see that's happening is they change the assumptions across time. We saw different assumptions on um, the feasibility study data, different enrollments, different capacities, different suppression methods, all these things, right? So I really feel like there should be a data freeze that happens from the time feasibility study starts all the way through to the finished product for the redistricting scenarios, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. There's gonna be flexibility and changes in the enrollment data and those types of things, regardless if redistricting is happening or not, and after the final plan is made anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So freezing this data for this period of time isn't going to negatively impact the study itself, okay? Right. But it'll give more people continuity, more people understanding what's happening, what questions we're asking, and what data is reflecting our answers, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's one big thing that I just had to get off my mind. The other thing is I would really like it to be more of an iterative process, right? I really don't like what I call the guess and check method, okay? I find mm -hmm. it really irritating, and I think the public does too. The guess and check method is what I call the Board of Ed meetings near the end, right? Oh, let's move Polygon 1056. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens. Oh, can you tell me what happens? Uh, no, we have to stop doing that. That is the guess and check method, and it's not, it's not healthy for anyone, okay? It's very mm -hmm. stressful, and it's not accurate because we mm -hmm. don't see the long implications of 
you know, we all have these dominoes that happen throughout, right? And it's a lot of frustration for people who get basically thrown under the bus because of these guess and check methods. They don't know what's coming. They don't know what's expected, right? Mm -hmm. One thing I think that could help with this to not have this guess and check method anymore is to have iterations of plans that come out, okay? So one iteration would come out, which is similar to what we saw with the feasibility study this year, right? We saw several different plans with the feasibility study. And we had those meetings where the public input can be put to those meetings. And mm -hmm. then we came back with some different studies. I think that that is the process that should be happening, where we have some studies, public input happens, board mm -hmm. of ed input happens, then we have a new set of studies that are coming out. So new plans, okay? Mm -hmm. New plans. We can do this with computer optimization, just change the weights on things, right? I know we can mm -hmm. do this. Mm -hmm. um, then it goes to review to the public again to the board of ed again. Okay, so that plan didn't make sense. That road actually doesn't connect in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay, change that. Let's see what the implication, the impacts are of this next plan. Things like that. So we don't have any of this, not understanding why my polygon was moved and yours wasn't or things like that. Like a very more iterative defined process over time where people have their feedback. And when someone feels like they're not listened to is different from when someone is not thinking that what they're saying needs to be implemented, right? Those are two different mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. um, but plans like that can, can attempt to work on that. So, so how, so that you've laid out a very elegant scientific methodology for um, handling this. And, and I, for one, applaud that. Um, a lot of public processes don't, work logically mm -hmm. and 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 even given the the best efforts of you know freezing data saying okay you know this date this is when our data is valid this is it this is what we're going to work through through the process there's always the emotion that plays into it and the children mm -hmm. not polygons and Oh my God! Well, you know, my kid just started school, and and they're they're not even counted in this, or you know, and and yeah. how, you know, how can't you? So it's very emotional. In talking mm -hmm. about a public process, and obviously, you know, the more public process, and I agree with you about a more public process, but the more emotion plays a role. How do you? What do you plan? I mean, as a board member, and, and you'll probably have, if you're elected, a chance to be involved with the 13th high school redistricting. It's coming. How do you, yeah. how do you plan the, to balance the, 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 the hard skills and the soft skills, so to speak? Yeah, yeah it's very hard. Um, people really feel connected to their schools. They really feel connected to their school community. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's some things that I've heard that were positive to trying to help people um, understand and come more on board with moving. Um, some things like, you know, removing a large portion of your school or, you know, all of you together, right? So your community is still together. You're just at a different mm -hmm. school. Um, and I feel like some of it has to do with, um, changing the culture that people perceive at schools. Um, mm -hmm. All of our schools are very wonderful, but all of them seem to be perceived differently. 
And mm -hmm. um, I would really like to see more work on community building and inclusion and people's like whole school works on that, including community members, including bus drivers, everyone, so that there is more inclusion and there's more tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if people don't feel like if they feel like it's a healthy environment and they know that the culture of the school that their children might be attending is a healthy environment because we're actively working on maintaining or building these healthy environments for our students that it might ease some of the transitions more. So they'll be moving with their groups of people. It will make sense the moves that we make because we've had this iterative process where people's input and board of ed input has happened mm -hmm. um, rather than feeling, because I think people get really defensive when they're thrown under the bus at the last minute, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of what we see. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we have several minutes left, but I have a couple okay. more questions and, and certainly give you a, an opportunity to talk about anything else you, you have on your mind. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, with COVID-19, you know, school equity already being such a huge issue. Yeah. Um, and of course, now the state is losing money like crazy. The county is losing money like crazy. Budgeting is a fantasy land right now. Right. I mean, how do you see, I mean, how do you see in, in this environment, how do you see, um, I mean, I think we can, I, I, well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to speculate, but how, how do you see the impact upon our Title I schools, a lot of which are in District 2. I'm not so up on how many of them are in District 3, but you know, many of our more diverse schools are also ones that have required more support. Mm -hmm. And how do you see that hitting and in an environment where, you know, the parents from all the other areas are gonna want theirs for their kids too? How do you see how do you see that push and pull unfolding in terms of where to allocate resources in a in an uncertain environment? Right. So um, one of the things I have been doing during this time is I've been um, volunteering at some food tables through Erica's group, the Columbia Community Care Group, and um, it has shown me a lot because um, I've been doing it a few times through the beginning, you know, like uh, one or two times a week. And I have seen changes in how many people are coming. I mean, it might, part of it might be um, word getting out, but the other part of it might be, we are seeing some of these um, financial impacts on families, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the lines are getting longer is partly because people know about it, but the other part is more people need our support, right? Mm -hmm. um, I volunteer at Lake Elkhorn usually. It's not a school my children attend, but my children attend high school with them and with the students that go to that school. And I think it's a wonderful community. So I volunteer there, it's close by. Um, and I have seen the, the, the line grow. I have seen people very thankful for it. Um, I do know that Cradle Rock and Lake Elkhorn are um, some schools that have higher farms percentage, right? Mm -hmm. And um, one thing I think we need to keep in mind is when we're talking about giving students what they need to succeed, 
so that they can feel comfortable um, going to school. They can have the resources they need to go to school. They have the resources to be able to think at school, right? They have food in their stomachs, things like this, that we really need to keep in mind that it's not the kid's fault, right? None of this is the kid's fault. They have zero, zero, zero control over any of this, right? And um, a lot of it isn't even the parent's fault to some extent, right? When we're talking about these unexpected changes, right? And I think a lot of people think that a lot of people's emotion gets overwhelmed when they think about, well, my kid's not getting whatever it is that some other child is offered. And we forget that it's not that your child is missing out on something. It's that this child needs this food to be able to think in school. This mm -hmm. child needs this resource to be able to participate in school, right? Our special education students. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that trying to take away that emotional pull of, well, I need to get mine or my student needs this or demanding opportunities for students that already have a lot of opportunities really goes back to that whole school culture thing, right? Mm -hmm. I really want tolerance and inclusion to be an active part in what we are reaching for, right? Because together, the school community, the teachers, the school system, the children themselves, the county, we're all linked together and to support each other and all of these students who have, they, have, they don't have control over their life situation, but mm -hmm. they, we can control what opportunities that we can open up for them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we really need to keep that in mind when we make our decisions as the budget gets thin is um, we have some basics that we need to support and mm -hmm. that should have priority. I don't think um, we have Title I funding and it's any school over 40%. If you look at the way the school system structures, which elementary, and it's only elementary school that gets Title I funding, mm -hmm. and it's right. not a huge amount, right? Mm -hmm. And it's for all school programs. So every child in that school participates and has the opportunity to participate in these programs that what mm -hmm. the school feels should be in. If you look at even the distribution of percentages of farms on the schools that are above 40%, you'll see that some of them cluster around 40%, and then there's a big jump to 60-70%, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like this like increasing thing. It's very segregated when you look at even just who yeah. our Title I schools are, mm -hmm. right? So um, even focusing some things in there with um, funding specific to um, enrollment in specific schools, right? So does every school based on just overall enrollment need this many liaisons of a particular type. Sure, they need liaisons, but let's dig deeper, right? And let's give these kids the resources that they need to be successful in school, to come to school, to feel welcome at school. We want them to be there. We wanna cut down the chronic absenteeism. We want them to know that it's where they belong, right? Mm -hmm. It's where they're safe. It's mm -hmm. where they can learn. And that's what I think we really need to focus priorities with the budget. Two more questions I have. Yeah. So one is one of the more practical nature. Um, you know, as you mentioned, District 3 has not had a school board member for a while. And uh, in fact, uh, nobody is an incumbent who's running in District 3. And there are a few other candidates running. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that the first time we crossed paths was at one of the last uh, in-person events uh, that anybody was able to have. 
right. for the 2020 election. So mm -hmm. how have you been getting the word out about your candidacy during this uh, time of Corona? I go for walks with my shirt on, right? Oh, I did not like know that was son. happening, everybody. <laughs> I have signs that we're putting up. I have lots of signs to try to get people's name recognition. Um, I was named after the Dolly Parton song, if you were thinking about that. I was, and it's a wonderful It is song. true. It is true. Cool. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, I could remember when that song came out. Well, it came out a few years before I was born, so that's... <laughs> Oh, that's how that happens but um so i do i've been trying to place signs i put a call out for signs before we got locked down um to to staying at home um i have lots more signs to put out if anyone feels they want a sign to support um, name recognition that would be wonderful um whenever i go for a walk or my kids go for a walk we put them in a jolene mosley shirt and hope that that's like a walking sign for people to see. Hopefully they're being well behaved on their dog walks. Um, and I, um, I did a virtual meeting before trying to do that. I'm trying to do some fundraising so I can purchase some more phone data. I don't have any phone data, but I was really thinking it would be really helpful to purchase some phone data so that I can call some people to talk to them because I really, I didn't get to do any door knocking um, the first day that we were locked down was the day I was supposed to go door knocking and I had my plans all laid out, but I did, wasn't able to do that. So I was thinking that I could call people, but I need uh, to fundraise a little more. So I need to work on that, um, mm -hmm. to get to meet people and get to know people. Um, I've been in the community a while, so I know, um, several people and, um, I'm very thankful for that and for their support. Mm -hmm. But I want to know. I want to meet some more people. I want to. Um, I really do. I really. It's always do. good to meet more people. So, mm -hmm. so um, my at my more aspirational question, and this is also one I've been asking of everybody. So let's mm -hmm. imagine that it's 2024. It might seem like it's 2024 after these past six weeks, but let's imagine it really is, and you are actually running for re-election to the board. Mm -hmm. um, what is it that four years from now you would like to be able to tell people that this is what I did for four years. This is what I brought. This is how I contributed. And this is what I'm proud of. And this is why you should reelect. Reelection. Yes. So I really would like to work on cleaning up some of these data issues we have, right? Working with the school system to understand their methodology more. I've read their papers. I get it. Um, but I think we can do some work there. I would really like to change the redistricting process like I talked about. I think that would be really um, good to do. Um, and I really, 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 I keep bringing it up, but I really want to work on policies that do offer inclusion and do offer tolerance. I think it's something that we're really missing in our life right now we have a lot of us first them and i really don't think it's productive in our children's lives to have their school system run on that as well the educators that i've met and the administrations that i've met and people other staff that work in the school system they all really care about our kids and they really want them to be successful but i want to align policy to um allow them to do that allow them to really 
thrive in their work environment and to help mm -hmm. the kids reach um, their goals as well. So I would like to see that happen and ways that I can see that happening would be that our curriculum is funded and that new curriculum is brought in um, that is reflective of what our lives are like today, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, I realize English books don't change that much, but my daughter has an English book that was in high school when I was in high school. Oh. Thankfully, teachers supplement with newer material Mm -hmm. But I want to encourage that. I want to encourage curriculum to be updated to, to reflect what our lives are today. It's great to do classics. It's wonderful. But I really would like, like our music department, I would really like more um, diverse selections that I hear when I go and sit at the adjudications every year. You know, I've been going for years. I love listening to our bands. They're fabulous. They work so hard. And to see the students so proud up there and the mm -hmm. band directors, whoo, sweating. Mm -hmm. They work so hard. They work yeah. so hard and they sound so fantastic, right? Yeah. But to see them learning about different um, uh, composers and things like that, um, we need to learn, we need to dig a little deeper within ourselves and have more diverse material and things like that so that it is easier to reflect our student body um, mm -hmm. so that they can see themselves and so many different ways of being successful. Outstanding. So um, is there anything in closing you'd like to say? Uh, perhaps you would like to tell people how to get in touch with your campaign online, for example? Yes, I have a website. It's jolenemosley.com. It's mm -hmm. pretty easy to um, um, remember, jolenemosley.com. I have a Facebook page and a Facebook profile that you can friend. I'm on Twitter, Jolene for Hoco, F-O-R, Hoco, not for. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also on Instagram. That's really fun. Ooh, um, that's my daughter does not want me to post things on TikTok. I don't, I don't know why it's fun. I'm still trying to figure out TikTok. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it could be fun. It could be Part fun. Maybe we'll do that later. Yeah. Perhaps. You might be the first one on TikTok. That probably counts for something, though I'm not sure what. I don't know either. Other than it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, so people can reach me through my website, through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter, email um, as well, Jolene4BOE, but that's the number four, a little confusing, um, at gmail.com. Um, I look at all of them. I will admit that reading Facebook messages sometimes is a little difficult for me. Um, I'm still learning. I have the app. It doesn't always work out well for me, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, but I really, find Facebook messages difficult in other ways, but it's good. <laughs> but I'm around. I've been around. Um, I really would like to be on the Board of Ed to advocate more for these students in these um, schools. I think they're very fine schools. I think everyone really cares about the students. And I do too. And um, I want them all to be successful. Well, Jolene, good luck to you. And thank you, uh, thank you for being such a wonderful guest. And uh, I, hope that, uh, I hope that you'd be able and willing to come on the show again another time. Sure. I can talk about weaving or spinning or math or data or whatever. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a multitude. So, so we'll, yeah. we'll think of something. 
So, and uh, I want to thank you out there for uh, watching and or listening, depending on what you're doing. And uh, join us later on in the week for the next edition of Forward Maryland. For Jason Booms and Katya Fort Roden, my name is Bill Woodcock. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. And...